Here it comes. It's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Hello, Nashville and all the other listeners out there. Today you are in for a treat. I sit down with Aaron Walker in the Rambler, and uh, thankfully he was as impressed with the Rambler as I have been impressed with uh, his story and the impact he is making in many uh, men's lives. So uh, make sure to uh, listen to the whole episode. Of course, that's my thought on all the episodes, but uh, he has some great insight, great wisdom. He does a, a like a live Facebook live on the Greenway where he just walks and talks and just just bouts out a bunch of wisdom. I uh, It would be fun if I could do that, but I don't think I can. As I'm recording these, I have to keep recording them and recording them because I mess them up. So I don't know how I would do just, um, you know, 10, 15 minutes in front of the mic nonstop. Who knows? Maybe I'll get better. Anyways, um, I know you enjoy this episode. Aaron has uh, he's, he's done a lot in his life and is still doing a whole lot. So uh, check it out. Hello, Nashville. Today I am sitting down with Aaron Walker, also known as Big A or A-Ron. I never could understand which way it was, so I just called him what I wanted to, and he has many names. So we are sitting in Hendersonville today, um, outside of his office on a nice rainy day. But actually, the temps are perfect for a camper. A little bit about Aaron. He's a businessman, a life coach. Um, He has inspired many through his leadership, mentorship, and consistent pursuit of excellence. He enjoys helping others and believes experience is a great teacher. 35 years of entrepreneurship and marriage have given Aaron a wealth of experience. Aaron continues to reach new heights and broaden his perspective of the terrain by examining his experiences and growing from them. So, uh, Aaron, thanks so much for uh, joining me. Um, Andrew, thanks for having me, buddy. The heart of Nashville. Here we are sitting in the Rambler on a not too cold but a rainy afternoon man i couldn't think of anywhere i'd rather be thanks for having me buddy. you're welcome you're welcome i was actually i was act, actually reflecting last night because i was in aaron's mastermind and uh and just thinking about this and really half the people i correspond with now was all through you you know mm-hmm. was through your connections was through what you I were remember doing. talking about this in the mastermind group and yep. we kicked around ideas and you were one of the guys that took it to fruition and look here we are reality has set in we're sitting in the rambler today yep and it was birthed in isi it, iron sharpens iron mastermind it was it was i was just thinking it was because you know i had left a, a a team in real estate and that was all on my own and i'm thinking man you know i need to be a part of something and and which i didn't want to join just a real realtor mastermind i wanted some you know business mind so i remember sitting in georgia um big front porch swinging and i was listening to rory vaden and then uh you were on this podcast and i was like man that's that's i like his message um i want to be about that so joined and then through all your connections and everything you know um learned a lot so here we are so i'm excited to actually hey, it was sit fun. Down with you. i was reflecting back in my mind a little bit thinking about this project and i remember you showing the pictures of this rambler stripped down to the frame and then pulling it out of your garage and unveiling it and it's just been so cool to be able to see this thing 
unfold before me. So, and then today is kind of a cool day for me being able to have been on the front end and then today being interviewed. So thank you, man. It's an honor to be interviewed by you. You're welcome. All right. Now let's see how, see how well I do. (laughs) All right. So we got a speed round or kind of an icebreaker. Cool. Um, so how long have you lived in Nashville? 57 years. I'm a native Nashvilleian. Yeah, three generations deep here. Wow. Yeah, I love Nashville. Very few. Why'd you move to Nashville? You had no choice. You lived here. Why'd you stay in Nashville? Yeah, somebody asked me recently, they said, if you could live anywhere you wanted to, where would you? And I said, well, I can live anywhere I want to, and I choose Nashville. Nashville's an amazing city. It's got four distinct seasons. Uh, we're about six and a half hours from two different coasts. There are three major interstates that run through Nashville. Uh, it's really big in country music, really big now in entrepreneurship. Uh, medical's always been big here. Uh, we can get within seven hours of 75% of the United States population out of Nashville. And uh, it's beautiful here. The people are amazing. It's uh, Southern hospitality is incredible here. So why would a person not want to live in Nashville? Latest stats I saw over a hundred people a day are moving here. Yep. So you being a realtor know exactly the benefit of that. And uh, it's just a very, very cool forward thinking city. And I'm privileged to call this home. So what you, uh, so you currently live in Hendersonville, right? What, uh, out of all the areas around what, what landed you in this part of town? Yeah, it's kind of like, I didn't have a choice because both my daughters live in Hendersonville and all five grandchildren. And I'm like, I want to be closer. We lived in Goodlettsville, which is eight miles North of Nashville for the majority of our married life. I need to update that bio, by the way, it's 38 years of marriage okay. now, coming up in June, 30, 39 years of being an entrepreneur. So I need to update my bio just a little bit. Four more years of wisdom. And actually, yeah, you've gained yeah. a lot, even with the amount of guys you've been around with yeah, everything. Yeah, pretty you know? cool. We have over 100 men from eight different countries now in our mastermind group. So that's pretty cool. But uh, I chose Hendersonville because it was uh, much closer to my daughters and my grandkids. We go to church. In Hendersonville, my office is in Hendersonville, plus we have the lake, and my Mm -hmm. office is right on the lake, and uh, it's a great place to walk and coach and eat lunch and hang out and go to the lake on the weekend. So, yeah, yeah, it's only, you know, 12 miles north of Nashville. What uh, favorite restaurant? Yeah, you know, Ruth Chris is still a pretty... uh, pretty much our favorite restaurant in nashville out on west end so we frequent it probably more often than we should favorite hobby yeah i love to play golf i love to fish and i love to hunt and probably in that order uh, my grandkids love to fish so we spend a lot of time on the lake yeah um so tell me something a little unique about yourself yeah i guess what would be unique about myself is i've not had a paycheck in 39 years started working when i was 13 fell in love with the business that i was working for opened my own at 18 years old so i've gone 39 years without a paycheck dave ramsey always says you got to go out and kill it and drag it home and i guess that's pretty unique four decades of uh not having a paycheck and earning my way right definitely um, so as far as all the places you visited, what would be your most exciting place? You know, in November, we're recording this in February, and this past November, we spent uh, 10 days in Israel, and we had about 50 friends. Uh, we went all together, and that was an amazing experience probably one of the most amazing experiences that I've ever had from a trip standpoint. We've 
had the privilege of doing a lot of trips. We love cruises. Uh, we've done all legs of the Caribbean, uh, the Panama Canal, Alaska. Uh, we're thinking through a Mediterranean cruise now. So cruising is the way to go for us, but Israel has to be at the top of the list. Well, you know, cruise boats have a pretty good amount of room. Maybe there's your retreat. Well, there you go. Yeah, buy a cruise ship. Yeah, yeah. they're only several hundred million dollars. <laughs> we need a few more members before yeah. we do that. <laughs> All right. So uh, a highlight of your story is your work ethic and drive. Um, at a young age, what or who contributed to this? My mom and dad are great people. My dad passed away in 06. My mom is still living and in great health. She actually lives on our property. Uh, I get to see her every day. That's been an amazing experience. But my mom was a real motivator when I was a kid. She had a saying that I didn't like at the time, but it was can't, couldn't do it, and could, did it all. And I didn't like that at first, but I've adopted it as my lifelong mantra because I believe she instilled in me a mindset of I can do something rather than I can't. All right. Actually, uh, one thing I was going to say before we started, I was just going to actually pull up your uh, live from the Greenway, and we were just going to sit and watch your videos because uh, that's enough wisdom uh, just know. in that. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> you know, that started out as a fun thing. I'll just highlight that for a second. Two years ago, I wanted to start doing Facebook Lives, and a couple of my buddies said, you really need to consider doing that. I didn't know how to do it. So I was on the Greenway walking. It's only a couple of miles from my house, and I walk there in the mornings. It's a beautiful walk. So I had a thought that I wanted to share with the community. So I pulled my phone out, and I said, this Facebook Live thing can't be that difficult to figure out. So I got on my phone and put a title in, and I hit go, you know, or live or whatever the word was. And I just threw it up in front of me, having fun. I was just being silly because I love to have fun. And I said, Big A, coming to you live from the Station Camp Greenway. Well, I did about a three-minute talk, hung it up, and my phone lit up like a Christmas tree. People were commenting and texting me and private messaging me. And I thought, man, what in the world? They really like that, you know, because it was unscripted. Right. A little bit like today, you know, right. even in the Rambler here right. as we talk, it's unscripted. And we just kind of think through it. We're having a great conversation. Next day, I did it again. So I continued to do it. Now we're two years in. I've got about 250 Facebook Lives uh, wow. cataloged. And it's been a real great tool for marketing and growing our business. And you just don't know sometimes what technology new that's going to be very, very effective in your business, much like I'm sure the Rambler will be for you. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a niche, right? Mm -hmm. And it's something that is unique in this industry. And I think this is going to serve you well also. So I envision your uh, how many segments have you had already yeah, uh, as a book a book down the road deep well, thoughts by aaron walker yeah we're actually doing that okay. it's gonna, we've okay. already uh, got the name live from the greenway can i give an original idea to where you uh, think <laughs> you know what's cool is is uh youtube will transcribe these for free so okay. we go to youtube post it on youtube we get the transcription we clean it up a little bit and we're going to make an ebook out of all the live from the greenways and we're going to give it away as a lead magnet when i do podcast interviews okay so you can either buy it on amazon or you can get it for free when you download uh that lead magnet from an episode that i've done on a podcast okay awesome and i'll add that you know a lot of my questions are kind of pulling out of your book of you from the top um which is pretty awesome and it's funny so i've, I've read some of it 
and knowing you as well as I do, I know a lot of your story, but diving into it, you know, I was able to pull a lot more out. Obviously, that's the whole point of a book. On that, as far as your work ethic and drive and, and starting out at a young age of 13 working, starting your business shortly after, thinking back to your teen years, what are your thoughts on laying aside your social life and sports for the pursuit of your job? Yeah, I didn't pursue any sports at all. I'm not real athletic. I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4", 230, you know, so I'm a big guy. I could, probably could have played football with the determination that I have but I watched my dad sweep the snow off of a roof when I was a kid to earn money for us to have something to eat when I was a kid and it instilled a lot of motivation in me to do better like I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time but I knew what I didn't want to do and I didn't want to work that hard physically and I thought there's got to be a better way and so I really dove into the work, and I started working at 13, and I worked every day after school. I worked every weekend. And then when I was 15, I decided that I wanted to be in the pawn shop business. I didn't even know what a pawn shop was at 13 years old, but at 15, I decided I wanted to do that for a living. So I went to summer school and night school for 18 months. I had enough credits at the beginning of my junior year of high school to quit. I didn't have to go because I had enough credits. So I worked every single day. And when you're 16, 17 years old and you start making the kind of money I was mm -hmm. making by working regularly, it felt pretty good. And I thought, you know, I'm going to continue doing this because it feels good. And then it just kind of went from there. I met a couple of guys with a lot of money because I didn't have any and I needed somebody with money to go in business for myself. And I went to the guy then that was my boss and I said, well, I ever have, have an opportunity to own this business. And he said, no, we've been in Nashville, you know, since the 40s. This is a family business. You'll never own part of it. And I said, well, I've met a couple of guys with some money. I've approached them, and they've agreed to go in partners with me, so I'm going to leave. And he said, man, don't do that. I'll double your salary. I want you to stay here. And I said, i got to know if I can do it. So I went out on my own. We opened our first business. And then a year later, I got married. Robin was still in high school, so I waited on her to get out of high school. Two weeks later, we got married. And I said, Robin, we wow. can't screw this up. Like, we may never get this chance again. And so... We're going to delay gratification to a later time. We're going to pour all the money that we make back into the business. So I don't really know why I did that except, Andrew, for I wanted better. Mm -hmm. I just wanted a little different lifestyle. I wanted to be able to see parts of the world that I'd never experienced. I wanted to live in a decent home. And it just gave me a lot of uh, initiative to go for it. And we did. We poured all the money into the business. In 36 months, we paid for the business, so it was $150,000 that it took to start it, and we had it completely paid for in 36 months, and then we just continued to repeat that exercise over and over mm -hmm. until I was 27, and then when I was 27, we had something that a Fortune 500 wanted to buy. Then we sold out to a company in Fort Worth, Texas. It is interesting to think about your size and your drive and to think if you if you would have pursued, you know, basketball or football, you know, um, who knows where you would be. You know, you might yeah, have a big, big ring. The shack would have been in trouble. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. So you've just reached the summit of Mount Everest. The path up consists of your life journey. What are some pivotal moments along the journey that got you where you are today? Well, first of all, I know that's, you know, kind of a demonstration of our life reaching a pentacle. And I don't think you ever reach a pentacle. I think there's a lifelong process and growing and learning. And every time you think you're at the pentacle, you can see a little further and you continue to achieve. 
I want to learn to be content in all situations, but never complacent. And I think when you say you've reached the summit, then that's a form of complacency. And I don't ever want to become complacent. Looking back over my journey, some of the things that I wished I had learned earlier was humility at a little earlier age. Coming from nothing and being able to retire at 27, I thought I was the golden boy, and that about got me in trouble. And so I think the humility aspect is something that I should have learned sooner. My dad used to tell me when I was a kid, he'd say, you're doing really well and be really kind to the people you passed on that ladder on your journey, because if the top rung on the ladder ever breaks, you'll pass those same people going down. Hmm. And I think it's a really valuable lesson. I don't think we ever get to a point to where we think we're better or we can speak in a condescending voice to anybody. I don't think we ever reach the summit, if you will. Okay. But I do think that I've achieved some measure of success, at which I'm very grateful. I'm a Christ follower, so I give all the glory to God for our success. I could have never done this on my own without God's direction and guidance. The other thing that I probably would have done earlier is to enlisted uh, wise counsel in the beginning because isolation is the enemy to excellence. And I think that for us to excel at a rapid pace, we have to be around people that can help take us there because there's wisdom in the counsel of the multitudes. And I think that they have different life experiences and they have different filters by which they view life. And we always should be in a constant state of personal development and learning from other people. So humility and surrounding myself with the wisdom of others, I would have done quicker. Okay. So also thinking you earlier, you said uh, delayed gratification. And I think you had to do that a lot to pay off, you know, that loan in that short mm-hmm. period of time. Most people can't do that with the money that we make nowadays. Tell me a little bit about that. And, you know, why, why can I not have what I want now? And why should I wait? Um, and is there a formula for living uh, for the day, but also, you know, saving for the future? Well, what we could have done differently early on is when we had the business paid for in 36 months, I could have easily increased my salary. We could have bought a nicer car. We could have taken nicer trips, and that would have been great. That would have been fun. But I wouldn't have been investing in myself and building something that a Fortune 500 wanted, right? Fortune 500s don't want small, tiny mom and pops. They want something that's more grandioso, and we had that. So the delayed gratification was is delayed. It wasn't removing gratification. It was just living like no one else today so I could live like no one else tomorrow. Dave Ramsey's been teaching this now for 25 or 30 years. At that point, were you tied in with him? No. Okay. No, I didn't know Dave at this time. It was just kind of, as Dave puts it, some uh, common sense. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Robin and I took an $18,000 a year salary for nine years. We lived on $18,000. The first condo that we bought when we got married was a 500-square-foot condo. I paid $500 down. $203 a month was what I paid. I actually bought three of them. I bought one in A, B, and C building. I leased the other two out, so I had a $1,500 investment. I rented them out enough to cover the mortgage. I kept them 18 months. I sold them and made $30,000. I took that $30,000 and bought a $79,000 house. So now I'm 22, 23 years old. I've got a house 50% paid for. We completely gutted it. We renovated the exterior and interior. We lived there for another five years, sold it, doubled our money. I bought a piece of land, 
built a house on it, and then kept that house and raised our children there until the children were grown. Then we left there, built another house, and it was too big, and we decided after five years that the house owned us. We didn't own it. We sold it, bought a much smaller house back in the woods where I got my life back. So a little journey on us as far as the way we bought houses and so Mm -hmm. on. But anyway, it was just thinking ahead. There's not really a formula for saving, I don't think. I think that we just wanted to do some things and invest in the hard years early so that we could have a little more freedom as we got older. And obviously, I mean, you had to be blessed with, you know, Robin being on mm-hmm. the same page with mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. know, because obviously that's a big pull between, you know, a lot of spouses is one's the spender, one's the saver. And, you know, yeah. to be able to keep stay on the same page and see that big picture, because obviously you think big, you know, kind of automatically, you know. Yeah. Robin uh, was perfectly content, you know, with our family and raising our children and staying at home. She's always been a stay at home mom. It's been an amazing role that she's played. She's been my biggest advocate, my biggest supporter. She's always been in lockstep with everything that I've wanted to do. Now, that doesn't mean that she fell right in line and just did anything I wanted to do. And that was the value of great communication. Mm -hmm. We had great communication all through our marriage. And our rule of thumb was is if we both didn't want to do it, we didn't do it. Now, it may take weeks and sometimes months and even years to get on the same page, but we always respected each other enough that we didn't do it unless we both were 100%. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, communication is uh, is key, and it's so easy, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know how easy say, it is. Yeah. I say with much sarcasm, as you recall, you know, I'm sure some of our uh, meetings of the communication was is always a, a work in progress. If you were about to go live from the Greenway, and it was titled "The Most Impactful People in My Life," who would they be, and why? Oh man, what a great question. You know, at different times in my life, it's been different people. After my career was pretty established, I met a guy named Bob Warren. And I met Bob at our church. He spoke at our church. I didn't know him. And I fell in love with this guy immediately. He was amazing. His wisdom and his countenance was just second to none. And he was like a magnet. He just drew me to himself. And I was just in awe at this guy, at his wisdom and his experience and He had a place in Hardin, Kentucky called Basic Training, and it was where he brought people and he would teach. He's a Christian also, and he was became my mentor. And Bob would listen to me through difficult times. He would celebrate the victories with me. He would say the hard things to me. He would take me to task. He would challenge me. Uh, He would press me through those upper limit challenges often in my thinking philosophically and in my theology he would really press that to the limits but i could always trust him because he was authentic he was very genuine he's very transparent he would share with me times in his life that didn't go as planned and he would share those failures with me and he would encourage me to be honest uh, above reproach and he really pushed me to do the right thing unfortunately three years ago uh he had a heart attack at 68 Mm -hmm. and died uh, he was a professional basketball player early on. He was Mr. Vanderbilt. They retired his jersey. He had an amazing career, went on and played for the San Antonio Spurs for about eight years, had a great career, uh, got out, and then started this ministry in Hardin, Kentucky. And even to this day, you know, it's kind of ironic. His son, I'm mentoring now, his son's named Benjamin Warren. 
23 years old and he's in our mastermind group now and i'm getting the privilege of mentoring his son so there's a little bit of reciprocity in that uh all the time that he put into me for all these years so i'm grateful that i get to mentor his son now yeah that's pretty awesome so speaking of uh, transparency i'm envisioning walking into a room with 50 influential men you know some of their backstories. Some are about to lose their businesses. Marriages are falling apart. They have neglected their kids. If you were to be totally transparent, what are a few struggles you would share of your life to help these men out? Yeah, that's a great question. There again, as I've pointed out twice already, I'm a Christ follower. So the common denominator for me in all situations is Christ. And that's been the reason Robin and I have had a successful 38-year marriage. Not because either one of us are great, but because we always had Christ as our common denominator. So I would say in all personal and professional decisions, for me, Christ has been the default. So I could always go back and say, I don't know, Lord, where you're leading me, but I default to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in my personal life. So I would say that to anybody in regards to their decisions, uh, whether it be personal or professional, is defaulting to the higher power for me. So some of the struggles that I have had early on in my life was the lack of humility. Uh, as I said earlier, you can only imagine going from, you know, a dad that never made over $15,000 a year in his life. We lived in a 600-square-foot house, six people, four kids and two adults, um, the trials and the tribulations that we experienced as a result of growing up in kind of a poverty mentality. And then going from 18 years old to 27 years old and selling to a Fortune 500 company and for all practical purposes being done, like I could have quit. You can understand reading your own press clippings how that would elevate your mindset about yourself. And it did for a period of time, and it almost got me in real trouble. Because when you have a 27-year-old guy with plenty of money, no accountability, an open schedule, how you could get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So I would just say be very careful and have accountability around you on a regular basis because that's a recipe for disaster if you're not careful. The part that we really haven't talked about any today and some that know my story know that in 2001 I ran over and killed a pedestrian. And it was a pivotal moment in my career because all of my success was about a bigger house, place on the ocean, a mountain house, a nicer car, a bigger house in Nashville. It was all inward focus. And when I had that automobile accident, what I discovered was is that I had huge success and no significance. And I thought, you know, the Andrew Buckwalters of the world's life wasn't better as a result of having known me. My legacy would have been poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee, makes a lot of money, retires at 27, and nobody cares. Well, I started feeling extremely guilty when I started thinking through that, and I thought nobody but Robin and Brooke and Holly even cared that I made any money. What I've focused on now is looking outward and not inward, and how can my life impact other people? And there's a great amount of satisfaction and purpose in that when you do that. And here's what's ironic, Andrew. As a result of doing that now for 17 years, I'm far more significant and I'm twice as successful financially as I've ever been. So I think the strategy for being successful is looking outward and not in. Yeah, and I've heard that many times, even when people get in a state of spiraling down or in depression, it's 
reaching out, you know, focusing on gratitude, one, which I guess could focus on you, but what you've been blessed with, but then also just reaching out and serving others, you know, making an impact. So, um, that's pretty cool. One, you know, I guess common thing I noticed in your book and in your story and the, uh, the 10 times, I think you retired, um, <laughs> is it was is, three, but anyway, who's counting? It was the financial freedom. You know, it was the hard work, which was the delayed gratification and it was being able to, you know, be disciplined, um, and save money. So then when you did have, you know, tragedy stuck struck, or, you know, you tried a new venture in construction and just knew that that wasn't a fit, um, if you hadn't had that financial freedom, who knows what right. decisions right. You, you could have been trapped, you know? Because so, I took off five years after yeah. the accident. I took five years off, and I'm very grateful that I had the resources. We traveled pretty extensively abroad, and uh, I feel like that if I hadn't had that cushion, if you will, it would have been much more difficult to work mm -hmm. through that tragedy. And yeah. so that's another benefit of investing wisely or saving I'm not a great saver. I was a decent investor. And so it gave me that passive income that I was able to take some time off and get my legs back under me. Yeah. Well, it's cool because it's like, I mean, you had, what, a four-year stint after 27 when you sold your business? Right. And then you had five years of traveling. But really, you don't talk a whole lot about all the experiences you had within the traveling. <clears throat> that would be pretty cool to hear someday. Um, I'm sure you got to see some pretty neat stuff. You state purpose is the driving, motivating force that propels yeah. us to significance. Yeah. Without it, we get lost in our efforts to find or create happiness and contentment. When you have had the mountaintop experience and something shoves you off the peak, how do you pick yourself back up? Well, here's the thing. This, there's a whole lot to unpack there. So first of all, money doesn't make you happy. It gives you options. And I agree that it makes life easier, which in turn can make you a little bit happier. Mm -hmm. But happiness is a choice, not a trait. We choose to be happy. And second of all, in that is that the purpose, the reason I talk about purpose is that motivation is an exhaustible resource. You can only stay motivated so long. And I'll give you a little example. If there were two buildings 10 stories high, and they were side by side. And I put a board across the buildings and said, Andrew, I'm going to pay you $10 to walk across this board. And you're like, man, we're 100 feet off the ground. You would say, no way. But if I said, Andrew, and I lift the building and I put your daughter on top of the building, you would run across that board. No amount of money would keep you because your purpose was greater. Mm -hmm. right? It wasn't the money I offered you initially, but now mm -hmm. it's your little girl. Mm -hmm. Right? We can be motivated to do something, and we can have great passion to do something, but that is an exhaustible resource. It wears out, right? The only thing that will get you up and keep you there is purpose, right? Today, my purpose is helping ordinary men become extraordinary. And when I see guys uh, excelling in business and in their personal development, when I see their business doubling and tripling, when I see them getting off things that are unhealthy for them, when I see their marriages are better than they've ever been, when I see that they're involved in community service, when I see them making great decisions and having great integrity and they're honest, they have great core values, they have a mission, vision, and a purpose for their life, it's very rewarding to me. So that is my why. That is my purpose. The motivation early on can be I'm going to make decent money. 
but you reach a point with money and they say it's about $70,000, it has almost a negligible impact on your life after about $70,000. That's when your basic needs are met. Mm-hmm. So it's almost immeasurable past the $70,000 mark. You just have bigger toys. You have a little more trouble because now you've got to wash it and clean it and insure it and preserve it and hope that it doesn't depreciate and you need more space and it requires more of your time, which can in turn suck the energy and life out of your purpose. Right. right. So you just got to be careful thinking that when I get over there, when I get this paid off, when I get just a little more money, then I'm going to be happy. We're all guilty of that to some degree, but you can be perfectly content in your present situation, yet not complacent. Mm -hmm. Like I love having the pedal to the metal. I love growing iron sharpens iron. I'm not probably going to be totally content until we're a very huge brand internationally as well as nationally. We're in eight countries now, and I'm like, well, that's great, but we have 188 more countries to go, right? (laughs) And so, but I'm very happy. I'm very content at where I'm at but i'm not complacent so just don't get those two things confused right right yeah that's great that's uh that that goes back to the drive i guess once it's there it's always there right you just got to throttle back sometimes well you got to think about what the drive is for right right if it's all for personal satisfaction and gratification you're going to soon discover it doesn't scratch the itch yep but when you have a greater motivation and a greater purpose and a reason that you want to make more money, I personally have private goals that I want to obtain in regards to making more money. Mm-hmm. You know, you have people like Truett Cathy with Chick-fil-A and you have people like David Green with Hobby Lobby. You have people like Dave Ramsey with the Ramsey Solutions. Uh, obviously, they have more money than they'll ever spend, Right. But the foundations that they provide now and the lives that are being touched as a result of it. Recently, I heard about David Green was going into metropolitan cities and buying depressed property, fixing it up, taking a tax depreciation from his taxes, a write-off, giving the property back to the city, and the city is now flourishing in that area. Everybody won. David Green won because he got a higher tax deduction. The city won because depreciated property and property that had been foreclosed on in many times were refurbished and given back to the city. So now the city wins. So it's a win-win. So you, it's okay to make money, right? but it's just why are you wanting to make more money? Right, right. Yeah. Well, I even think in, in real estate, you know, it, it could be a, a great industry. And uh, you can focus on the money, um, but then I think you got to pull yourself back and go, all right, you know, because all you do is spend more of it. I think if you don't have that purpose or that why, because yeah. you're not thinking big picture and you're just living for the moment, you know, going to that not delaying gratification. Um, and I think, you know, when you say that, it makes me think about, you know, me changing the name of this podcast. Right. And, and now the more I think about it, it was like I was excited about the other one, but also was less willing to kind of take advice it was like man my mind's made up i'm doing it and uh and again i remember tom you know a couple guys throwing some stuff out to kind of it was probably even simplified i'm like no i'm good i'm you know really that's what i was saying i'm good and i went forward and now here i am you know changing it up but now i'm i'm even seeing you know more purpose in it you know bigger picture which really excites you to keep pushing forward you know when things kind of keep time together so let's uh, don't totally negate making money 
And right. I can't stand when people with a lot of money go, oh, it's not about the money. And I'm like, you liar. <laughs> a lot of it is about the money. It's okay. Right. It sounds more noble right. for us to say it's not about the money. And I always love saying this. Well, if it's not about the money, do it for free for mm-hmm. me. And then they recant quickly and they go, oh, well, I really can't do it. Well, no, because some of it is about the money. Right. Don't make making money bad. It's not bad. It's Mm -hmm. a good thing. I need it, right, because I like to take nice cruises. Right. I like to live in a nice house. I like to drive a nice car. I like to give money away. Mm -hmm. I like to be able to sit here with you for a couple hours, right, because my schedule permits it. And I couldn't do that if I didn't have a little bit of money. Right. Right. So let's don't say it's not about the money. Right. Right. Because let's take it away from you, and you'll find out how important that money it's is. It's just not focused just on it's the It's not money. your God. Right. Don't make it your God. See, money is a tool for us to live our life. Mm-hmm. It's not the reason we live our life. So don't make it your only focus. Right. Definitely agree. Um, so I also love the statement you made. I have one very important suggestion for you. Embrace the tension. It's never going away completely, no matter how vast your pool of resources this feeling will never go away. As long as you feel the tension, you probably are attempting to do the right thing, which I'll let you elaborate on the tension. But when I read that, I was like, man, I like that because I'm always feeling this tension. I need to spend more time with Natalie. I need to spend more time with the kids. I need to work more. I need to, you know, and it's just like, you know, it's kind of chaos. But at the same time, reading that kind of made me go, Okay, well, that's cool because, you know, the tension is good because I'm not just being content and not desiring because I know I need to be doing more for the kids. So um, what's your thoughts on that? Well, here's the thing. Robin and I went through the Panama Canal recently. And when we got that cruise ship into the Panama Canal, it was a great experience, by the way. But there are three mules is what they call them on each side of the canal. And they hook this cable to the side of the ship, and they pull the line taunt. $10 million is what each of these mules cost. There's three on each side of the ship. They put another one on the left side, and they pull it taunt. So you've got equal tension on both sides, and it holds the ship right in the middle of the canal because literally only a few feet on each side of uh, the lock that you go through If they didn't have those, the waves or the turbulence would cause the ship to bounce against and tear up the ship. These ships are 950 feet long, right? Mm -hmm. And they cost hundreds of millions of dollars. They want to be sure that there's something holding the front, the rear, and the middle taunt on both sides. Well, that's kind of a picture of our life. Like we have work on the left and we have family on the right. People say oftentimes that there's work-life balance. Well, that's untrue. That can't be because what you're saying is is that you need to give equal time to both. And I challenge your thinking, and what you need to do is prioritize your priorities. There's so many things vying for our attention. I love to play golf. I love to fish. You know, I love to hunt. I love to work. I love, you know, to go basketball. On and on. I've got a list of things that I enjoy doing, right? Love the outdoors. Love to do all these things. Love to go shoot my guns. You name it, right? But I can't do all those things. So what I have to do is say, what are the most important? What are my priorities? And as I shared earlier, my faith is number one. So I dedicate time every day to being in the Word. I do praise and worship time every single morning, five days a week. 
I read scripture. I have a meditation and a prayer time. That's priority to me, so I start my day out that way. The next thing is Robin, right? Robin was here first. She's been here 40 years now. I have to allocate time to her because I could work around the clock because I love to work. The next thing is my grandchildren and my children. I want to spend time with them. That's why I sold the big house. It was consuming all my time. So I bought a much smaller house. Now I get to spend time at the gym and the ballparks with my grandchildren. See, I have prioritized what's important. Now here's where we get in trouble. People say all the time, oh, that's important to me. But if your actions are not mimicking your words, it's really just words. See, we do what is important. We can say whatever we want, but our actions are screaming at us. Recently, a friend of mine told his father, he said, you know, my grandmother's important. Tell her when you see her, I want to come and see her. And he said, she's not important to you. He said, oh, yes, she is. He said, no, he's not. Because if she was, you would have already gone and seen her. She's not priority. See, your work is priority over your grandmother. Well, that stings. When you hear that, it's like, oh, man, I don't want it to be that way. But your actions are demonstrating what's important. You can Mm -hmm. say, I want to be at home having dinner with y'all, but I really need to work 18 hours a day. Well, let me say this, Andrew. There are times in our life where we have to work 18 hours a day. Mm -hmm. But if it's the pattern of your life, work is more important than your family. And I know that goes straight to the core, and a lot of people are feeling that right now. But what's truth is, is you need to allocate the boundaries in your life to say, I'm going to work this many hours, and I'm going to get as much done, and we will provide for our family based on these boundaries. Now, there's seasons in my life I have to work a few more hours. There's podcast interviews I have to do. I travel and speak. But it's not the pattern of my life, right? And that's okay. If the season is there, your kids understand, your wife understands, and you're like, I've got to do this for six weeks, I'm good with that. But when six weeks turns into six months and then six years, what you have said is, is that is more important than you. Mm -hmm. So I would just simply say, prioritize your priorities, build boundaries, and adhere to them. And uh, and I would say probably too that I think about either a spouse or I can think about... You know, some grandparents that say, oh, I love you, you know, I miss you so much and all this stuff. But then when you look at their actions and you're like, but you never come here or, you know, it's like it's all words. And yeah. And just know that, like, even though the party is not communicating it, probably in a lot of cases, it's still being noticed. Right. You know, like sure. my wife doesn't have to say, you know, I want to talk. I know. I know her well enough to know. All right. We need to talk. Right. You know, now right. it's just, am I going to make it a priority? You know, um, so it's the thing we hurt the people that are closest to us the most Mm -hmm. because we feel like we can do it and get away with it. But let me just forewarn you, there's going to be a day where they're going to get tired of that. And what happens is, is you've heard the song, you know, the dad, the kids saying, hey, let's play, let's play. And Mm -hmm. the dad says, again, I don't have time. Then the dad makes a pocket full of money, comes home to a house full of strangers. And then he says, "Okay, Billy, let's play. And the kid's like, sorry, dad, I moved on. See, we only have one opportunity with those kids. We don't get a do-over. I can teach you how to make money. You can make more money. Businesses can come and go. They don't have a memory, but your family does. And if you're having great success at the expense of your family, at the end of the day, you still go home a loser. Yeah. And I want to teach people to prioritize their priorities and build those boundaries so that you win in both arenas. Mm-hmm. Interesting how, you know, you could come home 
um, not humble and excited and, you know, I'm a winner, but the reality is you're a, a loser. You just don't know it. Um, so let's talk about fear for a minute. Um, why is it so paralyzing? Curious. Um, also, I was reading your book and thinking about, you know, at 27, when you retired first um, and that experience you had, you know, it was a, a struggle because I think you're like, where's my purpose? Um, and even now, as you're impacting so many lives, you know, do you think there's a fear of actually retiring or do you, do you, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Well, it's kind of interesting that you're bringing this up because I'm having this discussion. I'm not that old. I've got a long way to go. But as I get older, you know, I'm 57 now. As I get older, there's some other things that I want to do, Robin, and I want to travel a little bit more extensively. And I'm kind of in this weird space right now where I don't know that I necessarily have the right to just decide one day to quit. And I'll tell you why. I think God gives us our talents and our abilities and I think that we have to use it to further the kingdom and to share. And Dan Miller said something to me pretty interesting about seven years ago when I said I was going to retire for the final time. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to go to the Caribbean. I'm going to sit on the front porch of one of those little tiki huts, and I'm going to watch the ocean. And he said, that's the most <laughs> selfish thing I've ever heard you say. And I said, sounds fun, though. Yeah, I said, why do you say that? He said, well, you've been working you know, a long time. You've had very successful companies. And I think maybe you should consider coaching. And I said, I'm not coaching anybody. And he said, Avery, you've had a successful marriage, successful companies. Why do you not feel a sense of responsibility to share that with other people that they could follow along in those footsteps? And I started thinking about it, and I did. I felt a little bit guilty as a result of that. So I think when we're blessed with having different spiritual gifts, mine, I feel, is encouragement. I do have a great amount of determination. Fear is minimal now compared to what it was when I was younger. And I feel like I can help push people through those upper limit challenges. Gay Hendricks wrote a great book called The Big Leap, where he talks about these upper limit challenges, the ceiling that we all have. And I think I've got the experience and the ability to push guys through that. It's proven to be true now hundreds of times because I've coached many, many people through pushing them through that upper limit challenge. So I don't know that the decision is necessarily mine in its entirety to make completely as to when I quit or don't. Mm -hmm. I'm very prayerful about it now, and we'll see. I want to be obedient. I don't want to say I'm going to put a time frame on it, and at 65 I'm going to quit or 75. You know, one of the greats died today. Billy Graham died at 99 years old. At 85, he led a conference in in Seoul, Korea, uh, where – there were a million people that attended. So the lives that he touched and impacted at 85 mm -hmm. years old, I don't know that it's fair for me to say at 57 I'm going to yeah. quit. Well, and, and even thinking about, you know, what you're doing and just how the sprawling aspect of networks, you know, how it can just one person's life you touch, how many lives is that yeah, one It's touching, the ripple you know? effect. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. cool. Um, now, speaking of fear, though, like how what's your advice on, you know, I, I think, yeah. well, there's many slogans with fear. And, and, you know, if you don't try something, you're not trying yeah, something at all. Sure, and, sure. Um, you know, what's your I look your at advice? it differently now. I call it the 18-35-60 rule. When you're 18 years old, you're afraid of everything. When you get 35, uh, you don't care. And then when you get 60, you find out that people weren't talking about you to begin with. Right. <laughs> And so the truth of the matter is, is that we all would be lying to ourselves and to the public if we didn't say there's some things we're afraid of, right? Right. 
my slogan's been kind of over the past six or seven years, fear missing an opportunity more than you fear failure. I wouldn't want to lay in bed at night and think, would it have worked? That would kill me. I just couldn't lay there and think, I have this great idea with this rambler, you know, the heart of Nashville. And I even told you jokingly two years ago, I said, if you don't do this, let me know because I think it's a great idea and I'll do it. And see, you're trying it. And I think it's going to be a huge success. It's not proven yet, but I think it's going to be a great success because of the novelty of it. And I'm really enjoying this interview today. I think it's fun. It's a great environment. It's cool to sit here, you know, in this very cool uh, rambler and do this interview. It's kind of nostalgic and it's really fun. But think if you didn't do it, mm -hmm. you would be thinking that every day. Golly, wouldn't it have been cool to expose myself to all these people in Nashville and do these great interviews, and I don't know where it would have gone? See, that would have killed me. Mm -hmm. So I'm afraid of missing an opportunity more than I'm afraid of failure. See, the thing is, is we're not popular enough to be worried about everybody talking about us. We're not. You're not the center of everybody's conversation. People are not sitting around their dinner table tonight talking about Andrew being successful with the Rambler one way or the other. If it fails, they'll go, oh, it didn't work. What is for dinner? Or, hey, it really worked. He's crushing it. What's for dinner? Right? That's about how long it lasts. Yet we let it hold us back from pursuing great opportunities. So I would just encourage you, if there's something that you're wanting to do, if you get great counsel of the wisdom of the multitudes of the people I was talking about earlier, you've got the resource. It's not going to put your family in jeopardy. I would just say, go for it. Give it a try. Uh, you know, don't pour your life savings into it. Don't push it all on red and roll the dice in Vegas. I'm not saying that, but if there's a percentage of your net worth that you want to be a little bit risky, I'd say go for it. All right. Well, um, you spoke a couple of times on, um, arrogance and how, you know, that's one thing you learn not to be. So how do you find the balance between persistence or pushiness, arrogance and yeah. confidence yeah. and humbleness or passiveness? Yeah. So here's the thing. There's a huge difference in arrogance and confidence. Arrogance, nobody wants to be around it. Confidence, everybody wants to be there. So I say be very confident and that's the reason I say you can't be an inch deep and a mile wide. You need to be an inch wide and a mile deep. You need to be really proficient at two or three things, not haphazard at 15 things. Once you establish that, you will naturally gain a sense of confidence because you've done it over and over and over. Like, I'm not great at interviews, but I've done over 600 podcast interviews to date. When I first started, I had notes taped to the walls, taped to my monitor. I had books setting out. I had quotes. Well, you just text me and said, hey, I'm here. I came out of my office. I sat down. I don't have a note in front of me. I'm not arrogant as it comes to doing this interview, but I have a greater amount of confidence because I've done 600. Mm -hmm. Okay. We don't have a single note. I don't have a single thing that I'm referencing sitting here. And that's not arrogance, but it's confidence because I've done it 600 times. Well, that's what I want you to be in your profession. It'd be like going into the doctor and him saying, 
oh man i don't know about that chest pain golly it could be this it could be that or if your heart doctor was also a podiatrist right it's like hey if i can't fix your heart i can fix your feet i'm like you have no confidence and now you're multitasking get me another heart doctor <laughs> right. right here's what i want the conversation to go Aaron, listen, I understand this heart palpitation that you're having. This is why you're having it. You need to get off caffeine. You need to get 20 pounds gone. I need to put two stents in these arteries, and in six weeks, you'll be good as new. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, that wasn't arrogant, but that was very confident because he's done this over and over. And I'm like, okay, sign me up. I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a big difference. And here's the other things for salespeople. If you go in haphazardly and you're not confident, people are not buying your product or your service. But if you say, I've done this 600 times, I know exactly what's going to transpire. I know exactly what to do. And you lean in and you give them your price with a great amount of confidence, they're going to buy your service or product. But if you look down or you gulp or you apologize for what you're charging, they're not going to buy your service or product. They'll see it. It's the same way in life. We've just got to have an air and a sense of confidence void of arrogance. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing I like to do with knowing, I, and I think it's knowing I have the experience in real estate, I throw this out, and I think at the point I do it, they trust me enough. But it's always fun to go, you know, look at a house, and they're really serious, ready to put an offer, and it's like, all right, you know, what's the next step? And I'm like... I don't know. Let me uh, let me Google it. I haven't made it this far, you know. Right, right. It's okay <laughs> they, to say they, I don't know. You know. Well, right? now, in that case, I do. I do, but oh, I would do it jokingly, like, and it's like you got to Google it. You never been there, uh, you know? uh, and it throws uh, them off. You know, well, start I'm just cracking saying, up. It's better. Yes, it's better, right, to even say I'm not sure on that. Right. But I'll get back to you in 48 hours. Definitely. With the answer, <clears throat> don't try to wing it. That'll always get you in trouble. Yeah, people can see through it. Um, all right. So one thing we talked about a lot um, on the mastermind calls was focus so tell me about it uh, why is it so hard to do for some people uh, you think I was curious you think I can find a laser for my focus at a local pawn shop or something well, like maybe that? you probably could yeah there's some great lasers there put it on the bottom of your Glock right right here's the thing is that multitasking is a misnomer I mean without a question there's no way humanly possible to devote a hundred percent of your attention simultaneously to two different tasks. It's not physically possible. And I have grown and excelled through elimination and I continue to do it today. We own a couple of businesses and we've got other people running one of them. Uh, but my sole focus has become on view from the top, which incorporates one-on-one -on -one coaching in the mastermind. I could do other things haphazardly and possibly have an income from the two or three or four different businesses. But if I'm going to be recognized as the professional in some industry, I've got to be totally focused. I've got to be totally devoted. That's what I was about to yeah, say. Yeah, I like that. Devocus, yeah. right? Devocus. That's the new word. <laughs> it yeah. is. Yeah. So, devocused. There you go. Devoted <laughs> and focused. I like that. Yeah. Right? You can use that. Okay. I'll let you use All right. Third time you say it, you can yeah. own it. But okay. give me credit for the first okay. three times. All right. So you have to be very, very focused on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And as I become more focused and view from the top and iron sharpens iron, I'm able to develop more strategies and uh, processes and systems, and we're much more effective as a result of it. So, yeah, don't chase the shiny object syndrome. Mm-hmm.
All right. Shoot the squirrels out of your life. Yeah. Right. So I know your wife, Robin, is a rock and has been supportive at times and gave you a swift kick in the butt at times as well. How do you stay on the same page when you are so different than your wife, not you, but other people that are? are. Uh, How do you merge your strengths to be one? Um, Well, here's what happens, Andrew, in a lot of marriages, and I've seen this to be true, even in my own marriage early on. We fall in love with somebody, then we get married and spend the rest of our life trying to change them. And what Robin and I have elected to do is to embrace our strengths and understand our weaknesses. And there's many areas. I'm a big picture guy, as you said earlier. And I can go in and very confidently blast out an itinerary and say, we need to do this, this, and this. Robin is a very detailed person. Robin's a person that needs a lot of security. She likes to know that we've got X and assets or cash and women primarily want to know that sense of security is there. I'm like, you know what? I've done it before. I've done it a dozen times. I'll do it again. Well, you know what? That's good for me, but that's not good for our marriage. Robin has to say, have the same latitude for me. She's got to give me that space to be able to say, Hey, I know you're an entrepreneur. I know you go forward. I know you're a big picture person, but we got a time out here. I need some more details. Mm-hmm. Like even now I'll go into Brooke, my assistant, which is also my daughter. And I'll say, Hey, do this, this, and this. And she'll go, hold on time out. I can do all that. But what do you want me to let go? What is it that you want to sacrifice as a result of having this big picture thing? Because in order for me to do that, these are 15 details that I've got to tend to. Which one do you want to let go? Like she reins me back in. Mm-hmm. So I hate details. I hate that level of details. You lose me. I like gloss over at some point, and even people that know me well, when we're intimate in our dialogue, they'll go, Big A, I've lost you, hadn't I? Because I gloss over. You lose me after a period of time in the details, mm-hmm. and i got to get out, and I've got to dream big, right? Robin's like all in the details. So we have to acknowledge that. We have to be honest, and we have to say, hey, right, we even have rules at our house. And you say, rules? I'm like, seriously, we have rules. Like when we go to bed, we'll sit in the den, and I'll talk about this till Jesus comes back. But when we go to bed, it's an unwritten rule that we do not talk about troubled areas or trials. We don't talk about the kids. We don't talk about the grandkids. That is a place I need to go and unplug, and I need to sleep. And so we're like, Hey, if we got a problem, we'll sit up all night. We'll talk about it, but we're not going to go in the bedroom mm-hmm. and talk about this while we're laying in bed. So different things like that, we have established rules. There's certain things at certain periods of the time that we just refuse to talk about because I'm exhausted. When I go home at night, we'll talk about certain things to a given point, and then Robin knows my energy is spent. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything else to give. Now, I do that Monday through Thursday. But Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is free game, right? We'll talk about whatever you want, forever, how long you want to talk about it. So I respect that with her as well. So all I'm saying is is don't try to change them. Try to respect them for who they are. And listen a lot. With age, we hope wisdom comes. With the wisdom you have gained over the years, what advice would you give your younger self in regards to parenting, marriage, or business? Well, yeah, that's a moving target as well. I could put a blanket over a comment, and that may be applicable for me and maybe one or two others, but it doesn't always hold true to everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a different set of circumstances in their life. They bring different baggage to the marriage. 
uh, talk about parenting, for example, I could say my mom had a quote. It was a biblical quote. It was spare the rod and spoil the child. And that means I'm going to tear your hiney end up. That's what that means. And my mom quoted it frequently. And my mom would bust your hiney end in a nanosecond. I was a strong disciplinarian in my house. And I could say, hey, little Billy over there is acting up. You know, you need to bust his hiney end, take him to the woodshed. And that worked for me. But little Billy may have some things in his life that the spanking doesn't necessarily work, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to be careful giving blanket advice or wisdom, right? The other thing is, is I was raised differently than Robin. We parent differently as a result of it. Some of the times it worked the way she did it. Some of the times the way I did it. But we never debated it in front of the children. We always debated it privately. Because then what you've done is you've put the kids in a different camp. Like, now I know who to go to because Dad feels this way. We would be united with our decision in front of the children, but we would never debate it there. In business, it's the same way. You have to learn as you go. It's not every decision is the right decision for every person. My dad used to say every tub sets on its own bottom. And so it's the same way in business. What may work well for Robin and I, I'll give you some examples. There's some boundaries that we've established in our marriage. Some of you listening are going to check out on me when I say this, and that's okay because it's not your boundaries, it's my boundaries. But I never am alone with a person of the opposite sex. There's just no point in me doing that. There's no women in my social media because I'm a man's coach. It's unnecessary. I don't take pictures with women when I'm traveling speaking. And you go like, what is that about? People come up to me all the time. Can I do a selfie? Well, the first thing they're going to do with that is post it on social media. So I'm sitting at San Diego, and I've got my arm around a 25-year-old blonde. She posts it to Facebook immediately. Robin's sitting at home on the couch with me in San Diego, and I've got my arm around some 25-year-old pretty blonde. That's not going to serve my marriage well, mm -hmm. right? There's no benefit in doing that. So we've established these boundaries. I ask you to establish boundaries for your relationship that your wife can honor that you would honor recently i had a lady walk up to me i got through speaking and she jumped up literally jumped up put her arm around me. he's going to take a selfie and i walked away and she goes well did i offend you and i said let me explain something and i explained what i just shared with your audience and you know what she said she said uh, i wish my husband felt mm -hmm. that way and I'm like, wow, you know, it's respect. I honor Robin by doing those things. It's not for everybody. I can't say it's wrong for you, but for me to protect a 39-year marriage, it's healthy for us. Yeah. So all I'm saying is, is have this communication, establish those boundaries, what's good for you and your spouse. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Great, uh, great advice. So from the great words of Timothy 4-7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. When your journey is over, what legacy are you hoping to leave? Yeah, at the end of the day, I want my legacy to be this. When people stand and look at me to pay their condolences, I want them to say one thing. My life was better as a result of having known him. And if that can be my final legacy, I will have fought the good fight and won the race. That's awesome. Well, Aaron, I think uh, 
I could sit here and ask you probably several more questions, but I don't have time and you probably don't either. So we'll wrap it up, tell them how they can follow you and uh, the book. And, and, yeah. and I know, actually, I was going to ask you a question, but you've said it enough about obviously the masterminds, um, you know. Does, is that important to you? Um, but tell them about the mastermind. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we run a uh, mastermind called Iron Sharpens Iron. And it's a video conference. You can be anywhere in the world and join our mastermind group. I'd love for you to consider it. So if you are interested, you can reach out to me at viewfromthetop.com. Uh, there's every social media platform there to follow us. Uh, my email is there. My personal number is there. I'm very easy to get a hold of. So if you'd like to do that, I did write two books this past year, View from the Top. You can get it anywhere. It's in every bookstore. It's in the airport. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's everywhere. I wrote another book called The Mastermind Blueprint. Uh, we were pretty uh, jazzed up for it. We got Seth Godin's endorsement recently on it, so that was pretty cool. And I teach you how to build your own mastermind. Okay. So, uh, yeah, reach out to me, viewfromthetop.com. All right. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for uh – today and all the insightful wisdom and experience so appreciate you uh, continually sharing that with other guys and changing yeah. lives yeah it's been fun andrew all thanks right. for having Thank you. See you buddy well what'd you think well i guess you can't answer me can you well i know what you're thinking that was a great interview with aaron walker and aaron has a lot of wisdom and i would not want to experience some of the life that he experienced but i can tell you this he came out um a better man and as he would say and mention throughout the podcast having god in his corner um, was was the key and friends and that's why he is uh he's so focused on growing and improving men's lives through the mastermind that he that he leads and is a part of i got to be involved in that for a year and a half and it was awesome and met some great people and and still talk with a lot of them i will say i'm doing the podcast because of him and the people that he introduced into my life so i'm very grateful for aaron and hopefully you uh you walked away and can can apply some of uh, what he has learned throughout his life. Make sure to tune in next week. I'll be sitting down with Terry Vo. She is an Arkansas alum, and I'm on the board with her because we both are Razorbacks. I don't know how she does all she's doing. Like, I see a new Instagram post, I think, every day. She's at some new event. But I know she loves what she's doing. She is connecting. She is making an impact in Nashville and uh, through her work, she uh, she gets to do a lot and actually has some pretty cool story of why she actually moved to Nashville, something I did not know. And she actually, I think I saw yesterday, she was just uh, voted as 40 under 40 in Nashville. So pretty impressive. So make sure to tune in and listen to that. Uh, scroll down, hit the review button and leave a review. Let me know what you thought about the this uh, the interview with Aaron Walker. Check out show notes. Go to the videos. You can see the uh, recording in the Rambler. And the music is brought to you by singer-songwriter Julie Keltonic. There's a detailed interview with her as well, as I sat down with her last year. And we, uh, we chatted for a while. And you can hear some of her songs. So make sure to check that out. Until next week. Have a great one. Make an impact, make a difference, and find some people to chat with.
The sponsors of this show are Buckwalter Impact Group of Benchmark Realty. You can reach Andrew at 615-973-7657 for any real estate needs in the Nashville and surrounding areas or if you're looking for a realtor in your local area. If you have any lender needs, give Brandon Hutchison with Legacy Mutual Mortgage a call at 615-866-9468. And lastly, if you have any title or closing needs, give David Weber with Limestone Title and Escrow a call at 615-730-7955. They close anywhere and anytime at no additional cost. Make sure to text Walker, W-A-L-K-E-R, to 41411 by April the 30th for a chance to win a gift card to one of Aaron's favorite restaurants called Ruth Chris. They're known for some great steaks. This song is called The Proof. I wrote it with my friend and co-writer Allison Clark, who is also a great artist. Uh, Everybody go check out Allison Clark. But it's called The Proof. We wrote it. Uh, it's really our stories of coming to Nashville and um, just having the Lord guide us and all, all that. Um, and it's funny because this song was one of my almost, it was almost cut by a big artist. And it's funny because the song itself helped me get through the disappointment of that. Um, but I still have hopes for this song. I believe in it and I would love to see it go out. So called The Proof. You chose me to walk on this unfamiliar ground. I'm leaning into you. I'm stepping out. But when the road gets long, Inside my 
there was ever any doubt If there was ever any question Oh, oh. there was ever any doubt There was ever any question in my mind If there was ever any reason to think that Your love won't satisfy If I ever start to wonder That you'll do what you said you enjoyed listening to Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter. We encourage you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes and be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. To be a guest on the show or to share your thoughts, send us an email to podcast at andrewbuckwalter.com. Until next time.